This is the South African Composers Archive, and let's jump right into it. You will know my next guest for her work with uh, singer Lorica Rauch and writer-director Ashraf Shohadeen. Uh, you will know her for her soundtrack work, um, such as the short film Heartbeat and uh, Flying Out at Dawn. Uh, you will also know her for dance works such as Tabadol, Authorize and Melting Truth. Uh, you will know her as the Musical Technology Officer at the University of Cape Town, sitting with me at the University of Cape Town, composer, songwriter, sound designer, Meryl Van Noy. Thank you very much for doing this. Wow, okay. <laughs> Thank you. That was correct, wasn't it? No, it's checking. Cool. Who or what inspired you to start a career in music? So I'm, I suppose that I'm lucky. Um, it's my parents. Um, so my mom's a music teacher. Okay. Uh, my dad plays piano. Uh, doesn't read any music or anything. Um, so he's a, she's a classical piano teacher. And she has a very interesting story because she, she pretty much, I mean, from the, the era that she grew up, she had two choices. You know, you would be a nurse or a teacher, and she chose teaching. Right. She always wanted to be a music teacher. And she had never had a formal qualification. So she was actually teaching for a while herself just teaching class, uh, just a class teacher, and then she put herself through teacher's uh, diploma so that she could teach music in the school. So, right. so she started teaching me, and I can't really remember learning them. So I'm lucky, I'm probably three or four. I was playing piano. Um, my dad is, a, is an English teacher, uh, was an English teacher, who was also a slight busking jazz musician. Right, so he doesn't read any music. So there was always music in the house. Um, she was quite structured and teaching me theory and all that sort of thing and and he would ha he has this epic jazz re uh, record collection you know with all the greats you know Miles Davis there's some Yuma Sakela in there so some South African stuff the Sophia Town stuff um, mm. Coltrane Bill Evans Brubeck all of it you know um, so that was always played around the house and and her classical music as well so, right. so I'm lucky I had a really nice childhood I guess um, and then I guess you get to a point where you, you, you your parent can't teach you. It's bad for both of you, yes. I suppose. You know, yes. You might understand. And so when I was at high school, I had a, a really good teacher, Colleen Biscombe. I went to a senior secondary school in Stellenbosch. I grew up in Stellenbosch. Okay. Um, and she really pushed me very hard because, uh, I mean, I was enthusiastic about music always. Um, I, I wasn't quite sure it was going to be a career one day, but I, I really loved it. Um, right. So I did Trinity up to grade eight, Eunice to grade seven. She kind of made me do all of those things and then pretty much said, you have to go and study music, even though I was thinking of doing architecture or something else okay. at one point. Yeah, and my parents were really great because they were pretty much, they were very pro-education. That was the first thing. I suppose it was the era that I grew up in. Um, they wanted um, their kids to have opportunities that they didn't have. So education was never not an option. It was going to happen. Right. There wasn't lots of money, but they'll make it happen one way or another. Yeah. You'll need to find a bursary. If the grandparents need to help, that they were everywhere. And it was like a family pushing, go do this. You yes. know? So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and that's how I ended up. Um, I auditioned for the jazz program at UCT and was accepted. I was... Again, I was lucky that I was because I hadn't really played any jazz before. So for, for piano, specifically. For piano. Yeah. I, I had auditioned uh, for piano and then I registered for the composition and arrangement uh, degree for jazz. Right. Yeah, right. so that's kind of where I began I guess it's I mean the whole having a parent teach one yeah. like I composition I had sort of unofficial composition lessons with my dad like mm. regularly yeah, just growing up where it's just like you know 
have a look at this kind of thing. Yeah. But I did try for a brief period of time having piano lessons with him, and that did not work. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's tricky when your own parent is teaching you. I think it was okay when I was very young. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, by the time I was 11, 12, I knew this is this is problematic the, I mean I have a very strong memory of a lesson where my dad is sort of sitting there going like look I don't want to say anything but like yeah. we share a house together yes. and I can't particularly say that I've been hearing a lot of practicing well, so that's it's just it. like my mom would be exactly yeah. the same and I'd go oh and yeah, and yeah. it's time to to find another teacher right it's, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah so it is it's an interesting thing to be taught by your own parents yes so you then you came to UCT and yeah. and you say you, you did composition quite late or started composition quite um, late? No, I probably started early. I mean, I was okay. always playing around on the piano. Okay. Informally, right. so um, I think it was the the it was my dad's jazz influence and the, the jazz in the house. Let me put it that way, because I mean he would have friends coming over at weekends and just busking around, and yes. then I'd kind of sit and listen, and then they'd always say, "Come play with us," and I'm, I'm very shy. I always have been, and I wouldn't always want to, but then I would tinker about, and and then you know you kind of informally start improvising here and there not that I was I had no idea what I was doing it's just by ear and listening and so on and so forth and then obviously then I would sit with when I'm not practicing (laughs) mostly when my mom was out shopping or doing something else Um, and then I would just kind of play around and I would write things down and and a lot of it was I suppose it wasn't in any particular style even then it was kind of a mixture between probably what I knew which is what I'm being taught so it's classical and jazz so there's somewhere in the middle of those two things and probably also just other influences things that I listened to right, right. Um, so that was that was what I kind of did initially right. and then obviously um, I, when I came to UCT I decided well look I want to formalize this but more and I want to learn properly so the jazz program was quite hard for me in the beginning because I had to learn theory the you know jazz theory harmony jazz arrangement um improvisation was a class I'd never really thought about I'm doing it I'm just doing it I wasn't particularly great at it either but I was just playing you know um so that was all quite different and also at the time funny enough when I was here studying the, if you were doing the compos- the jazz composition and arrangement program, you also had to do orchestration and some, and harmony and counterpoint and harmonic analysis and take some composition classes right. in terms of classical. Right. Um, so I had carried a whole lot of courses. In fact, I looked at my transcripts not too long ago for, for another reason, but um, there were 11 in the first year, 10 in the second year, 9 in the third year, I think. And then in my fourth year, I had to choose. And if I was going to graduate relatively well, I needed to make a plan and choose, right. you know. <laughs> right. um, but I'm very grateful that I did all of those things because I think it was all relevant. Um, I was one of those people who, I'm still like that. I want to learn everything. And I'm, I'm keen to, because I, I know that at some point it will be valuable in, in, a, in some way, even if yeah. I'm, um, you know. I'm, so, yeah, so I did the jazz composition and arrangement classes and I think I did orchestration one and two there was a calligraphy course in the first year I don't know right. if you ever did we, that we <laughs> I think we managed we were probably like just after they really? they decided like yeah. okay no more kind calligraphy of, yeah. course with a proper ink pen and I actually really enjoyed it but I also don't, I like painting so maybe that's why right, I, I actually didn't mind that course at all I did pretty well in it I mean, and these days I, I barely own a pen so I know like, I can't write I mean, my sc- look at my scribbles I mean, they're lying <laughs> on the, de- the desk here. they are terrible um, and then I did composition introductory okay in my third year, classical composition introductory, 
and that was the only course I and that was the only composition course I did in the end classical composition course right. I mean we were taught composition and arrangement in the jazz program as well obviously but it's 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 more it's stylistically quite different I guess right, right. yeah because then in my fourth year I had to decide I could have taken another couple of courses but there I, I had to focus on my piano and improv and all sorts of other things that right. happened I mean, what what's interesting to hear, and I, I I think as listening to the tracks that you send me, what's going to be very interesting, I think, for someone who's listening to this, it just sort of how broad kind of like the stuff is that you do. <laughs> but it's great. It, it's like I mean, you talk about sort of learning a bit of jazz, learning a bit of classical. Mm. That's you can hear those influences, yeah. and it, it's it's fantastic. It's lovely to kind of like melt that stuff yeah. together. I used it used um, to make me uncomfortable, and it doesn't it doesn't any longer. In fact. I, I will now tell students that I'm teaching that to me you are the sum of all of your influences and you yeah. drag all that baggage with you and all of that is part of who you are and it's, it's once you get to a point where you're comfortable with that or you, you're you probably never comfortable but once you are less worried about yeah. what other people say yeah. then you're in a much better space yeah <laughs> I don't know I actually don't know if I've ever told this story on, on the show I know I've told it in other places but there was a, a, a master class that I had with Missy Mitzoli when I was in New mm. York and what I've been what I'd been telling people for years was like oh I use classical and rock together kind of yeah and um she said to me when she's like I you say that but I don't hear the rock elements and I had like at that point I was still kind of embarrassed about sort of liking rock music in a classical environment or whatever and she basically there was a long talk about like why am I burying it why am I hiding it and it was quite freeing to kind of at the end of it kind of walk away with like yeah to hell with what other people think like just like it let it out show that side of your composition yeah um yeah yeah it makes you more diverse and i think it makes you more i don't know it, it's it's more personal then and it's it is more it, I, mean, I think then your own voice comes out better, yeah because that's who you are yeah, i mean and, and if you stop hiding from it <laughs> yes this, then then it will show hopefully show up in the music you know? yeah yeah so i mean like so you you said you sort of wrote stuff for yourself at the beginning a little bit yeah what was the first time that anyone approached you and was like i want you to write something for me okay so so that's that's an interesting story um so there's a song i went on a because it's a long story so i got a phone call from mike campbell who was who was my jazz lecturer and said many reviewers contacted him and there's a songwriting workshop and he's looking and that she wants to recommend students and at that time i'd already graduated he thinks i should go that's effectively what he said it was a very short phone call mm-hmm. um and then she phoned um and i thought okay great and i, I didn't really know what it was about and and i kind of um, she said she's going to email me something, which she did. And then I realized, oh, it's an Afrikaans songwriters workshop. So now mm. I'm unsure of whether I really want to do it. It's interesting. I come from Stellenbosch. I do speak Afrikaans. My mother's Afrikaans. My father's an English teacher. So it's always, it's always been a bit of a mishmash. But I'm not sure about this Afrikaans music songwriting thing. Um, and I replied and I kind of said, I'm not sure. And I'll think about it. So I don't know if you know Mani Krivi. Anyone who does know know her knows that she's super passionate, and you know she, she's kind of she immediately phoned and said, "I would like to take you for coffee." <laughs> 
um, which she did. And we had a long chat and she was saying to me, you know, these things are, you know, at the time I was about 25 or 26 and she said, oh, even if this was not necessarily what you wanted to go on this workshop, um, you know, you, and, and so I decided, yes, I would do it. So it was in Pretoria. It was sp- sponsored by the Artia Cafe, I think. We were there for maybe three weeks. Young songwriters I would say all writing for the Afrikaans music industry I was the, I had not written anything before not, not really mm. um, I'd written some song, song, songs before and obviously some jazz compositions but no Afrikaans music anyway and we would put through all these workshops and then it's halfway through like but I was in the second week I, I got a bit of a panic almost because the suddenly the cake net there was a, a team of photographers and cameras that arrived right. and we were told that they're going to they're going to film this um for a documentary and now the camera's following us around and it was a little bit like at that point in time there wasn't really i had no real experience with reality tv it wasn't really right. around right, right, right. i wasn't well, i still don't like it anyway um but they were filming these workshops and then it turned out at the end of this thing they decided that this whole thing was going to be um they filming it at the end all the participants must please choose a song that they think is the best song it was all very strange in that sense um and they filmed it it was almost like a survivor thing where you have to walk up with a name and go i choose (laughs) this song and we were all filmed and anyway and that song won for some random reason um but I mean, I, I'm sure the song was the good. <laughs> like that probably helped. I, I mean, probably, yeah. No. I'm not sure. It's probably one of the simplest things I've ever written. Interestingly mm. enough, but yeah, it was an interesting experience. So that's how. So that song was chosen by the participants, and off we went. All went home, and a couple of weeks or months, maybe two months after that, um, Ilsa Skirman, who used to, I think she's still at the Arctic Cafe. I still see her around. She's incredible. Um, she's always been very supportive. She phoned me and she said, I have very good news for you. Lauren Karach wants to record your song. You should say yes. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Why would she want to do that? You yeah, know? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that's kind of what happened. Right. <laughs> so it's a little random. But So this is the except for your goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. It also has a another side to there's another side to the story that is not such a nice side that i'm not maybe i should say it because maybe it's important it, it, it had a big impact on how i see the music industry in general in south africa okay. so the song laurie karach and her agents they were great um i think it went on to an album that she it was called fear say sunakant it was in released in 2002 mm. they were amazing um but shortly after we heard that she was going to record the song and it was going to go on this album of hers. What had happened while we were doing these workshops, we were paired up with people and just to stay for, you know, in our accommodation. And I, my roommate was, I'm not going to name names, but it was a person who was already writing some music, Afrikaans music, um, not particularly well known. Um, but um, we got on very, very well and we would kind of bounce our ideas off each other. And, you know, I think I may have helped her with some chords and stuff. Um, she'd say, you're the one with a degree, you know. And and I said to her, well, you, you have so much experience. I, the lyric writing was hard for me. I mean, especially in Afrikaans. Yes, I speak Afrikaans, but I'd written some English songs before and lyric writing is an 
a complete art form in itself, you know. Yeah. And I still don't know what I'm doing. I have written a couple, but it's 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 difficult. And I would bounce some of those things. I've said, would the, does it this make sense and so on and so forth. And I think there's maybe one phrase in the song that is certainly was suggested by her. And after I we we heard that I heard that Laurie Karaf was going to record the song. I got a lawyer's letter from her lawyer right. saying that she co-wrote the lyrics with me, and that was quite. I was quite taken aback initially, and initially I thought, how do I deal with this? And anyway, it was maybe I'm not very confrontational. That's maybe the first thing I should say. But I decided to just let it go, and I said, fine. It's fine. It's 50-50 lyrics. It, it's not going to... I mean, I'm very practical. I was thinking, in the greater scheme of things, this is not going to be... Uh, I mean, it's not going to make me millions. It's right. really... It is what it is. I'll take it as a learning experience. Um, I will file that in the back of my head and be prepared next time around and that sort of thing. So, yeah. So, it was... It is... She does have a credit for 50% of the lyrics. For and the one, music is... For the one line. For the line. Yeah. Right. And it is what it is.
this is George Burns quote sort of along the lines of it's like you know the entertainment industry is a horrible yeah. like etc and like and that's just like the positive sides of it as well kind of like absolutely yeah, and, and, and funny and the only reason I'm telling you the story is because it kind of it changed the way it probably changed the course of my career at that point because after that um, people were I was getting phone calls from um, many in particular saying oh you should go for an audition for this or you should really they're looking for a pianist for this program on CakeNet you should go and do it and I kind of always just decided no because I had a bit of a bad experience I think Mm -hmm. and I kind of stepped back from it and I thought no let me rather focus on and in some ways it was good because I, I thought no let me focus on the things that I would like to do this sounds like a possible opportunity at that time but it's not really who I am I'm not a natural performer anyway I don't know if I want to write many many become known as an Afrikaans singer songwriter or songwriter so let me just do the things that I'm doing and see where that leads me and sometimes I used to think oh, I wonder if this is a great idea but anyway that is yeah, yeah. that is what I chose at the time and and looking back I don't have any regrets you know because right. at the time I was I was um teaching at an NGO and I was really enjoying I was finding my daily work very rewarding um, and it had to do with music technology and I was upping I was managing to kind of gain lots of experience there and I was really excited about that and I thought well there are many ways to do this sure I can this may sound like it's this opportunity to kind of project yourself into this industry but is that really what you want at this point yeah it's interesting like I mean I'd be curious to see how many like first job experiences mm. people have that has like determined like yeah. the rest of their career. I mean, I one of the first film job experiences that I ever had was crap. It yeah. was horrible. Yeah. And it was a thing of like, you know, part of the side effect of that is like I ended up having to do an extra year at UCT because it took oh, so much time out time. of it and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And it, just that thing of like, I it took me a many many years again before I was just like, okay, let me let me see what this whole film thing is about again. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe if I'd left on it sooner at the time or whatever. No, Who no. knows? No, but mean? so yeah, I mean, like, of uh, so we were talking a little bit about how diverse and like how like all like spread out your music is. So I don't know. Um, if this applies to all of it, but I'm, how do you work? How do you put a piece together? Yeah, so it's probably all quite different. So the early stuff, uh, certainly, I mean, I went through a singer-songwriter phase. I, I often tell the students that you're not alone. I've been there. I went through a full composing phase, a right. songwriter phase. And that was obviously, you know, that's me sitting with my piano, with my instrument. And, and uh, I spent a lot of time learning to write lyrics because I found that much harder than writing the music. So the mm. music was, would come relatively easy, I suppose, not easy, but it would, it would at least happen. But then I wasn't interested in writing pop songs as such as just for the sake of writing them. I was write, I was trying to write, I was listening to Joni Mitchell and Tracy Chapman and that sort of stuff. Mm. So it was kind of the folk, I suppose you could call it folk, but I, I wanted this, if I'm going to write a, a song, it needs to have some sort of meaning behind it. It needs to move somebody in some way. So I went through this angsty phase, I guess. And I found the lyric writing very difficult. So I, I've probably easily written... 200 songs most of which have never seen the light of right. day <laughs> um and they and then they realized that i'm also writing you know with uh, 
I don't know, they all had these kind of quite heavy topics and I thought, well, no one's ever going to listen to these, you know, they're about the <laughs> environment or what, what's on the news. And, that's, uh, <laughs> and there may have been a space for that, but I, that's what I was going through for a while. And at the same time, I was getting jingle gigs and some short films and that's a completely different process and then I realized that the, the process is the process is important so songwriting for me has one process and that's grappling with the lyrics and the music and, and that sort of thing song film writing is completely different mm-hmm. jingle writing jingle writing I find very difficult and I used to say that as well but I, I very quickly realized that this is not going to be for me right. um, because it is undermined, the deadlines are ridiculous. Yeah. The briefs make no sense. Um, I mean, some marketing person is saying, I want um, a Coldplay anthem or whatever it is. Yeah. What they actually <laughs> want is so far from that, it is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I have done some work and I have actually enjoyed some of that work. But it, it is, I realize that that process is different. You have to, You have to extract the brief from the person who's giving you the brief that so that it makes sense to you so that you can reinterpret it so it was that angle first and then then you can focus on the music right <laughs> and they have to do it super quickly yes yes yeah um and when it comes to things that i write for me it's very very different right uh, my process is probably now let me maybe say now the process is it's conceptual i think is the right word i think about what I want to say for a bit um, when it comes to a new composition uh, and, and the inspiration will come from wherever it's a walk somewhere or a picture that I've taken or something somebody said mm. even you know and that will spark some sort of an idea and then I'd go think to myself well, that sounds that that has some meaning it makes sense to me it has some it's resonating with me how do I translate that into music? And how do I possibly, how would I be able to translate that to somebody else? Right. That's a strange way of looking at it, I suppose. But that's what my process now. Right. Um, is I'm, I'm always trying to say something with the music somehow. And I don't necessarily want to dictate what that would be to the other person, but it's there's always this kind of idea that I've been mulling over for a while and that's what that is about yeah yeah. but that I mean I find that very important like that one one needs I I prefer it when my mm-hmm. composers say something to me like yeah. I mean it, it's nice you know you can just like throw something on in the background and, yeah. like but I think even you know music that one's kind of like oh well it's just you know there's nothing really going on I'm pretty certain most of it the, com- the composer is trying to bring across a message even if of course. In, in simple of course possible. yeah because I mean, it is abstract music yeah. yeah there's always something else and it doesn't necessarily mean that you are you're, you're, you're dictating that to your audience yeah. absolutely out of curiosity because I, I mean I think of sort of like the dance stuff of yours and things like that mm. that's a whole other conversation actually all yeah. in itself how I got into that but the the music that I've heard of that there's quite like quite a grandness epicness to it I find and is there sort of uh, and I'm guessing there might mm. be on some subconscious level but uh, you mentioned architecture kind yeah. of before does that do, do those kind of worlds meet at all? They do Um. yeah I I I still like to dabble in watercolor painting, and I've done some acrylics. I'm no by no way trained or anything. Architecture is something that I am always interested in. I'm watching grand designs. I've probably watched every series, uh, kind design. of like that kind of thing. I like the structure of things. I think that's why technology suits me very well as well. I'm yes. very structured and organized 
in some ways and very ditzy and willy-nilly in other ways. And I like to bring those two parts of me together. I think that that makes it add something to what I'm doing. So it's always a bit of both. So yes, architecture, infrastructure, those kinds. I structure compositions um, if I'm writing now. I think about the structure very carefully, even if it seems like there's no structure. There is a structure. And it's quite quite strategic. yeah, so it is in some I, way. I can really hear. I mean, like we'll we'll talk about the the, the pieces like scratch study and stuff in a bit. But like yeah. even where it, it's you know something like just with pencil with plastic, there is an arc to it. There's a certain there's a shape to it, which mm. is is it's great. I mean, like even and I know like there will be purists who are like, well, this is like there's no notes in inverted yeah, commas. Absolutely. But there there yeah. is definitely like there's a structure and and yeah. which it's like still, is it's, very engaging. It, like, to me, it's still composition. So you all all those fundamental things that you taught in composition, it still applies even yeah. if you're writing. If you, it's like sculpting with sound, I guess. Yeah. The stuff that I'm writing now is that. It's sculpting with sound, so it's the architecture of that. And then how do you make that musical? Can you make that musical? Can you find some rhythms? Can you find... Uh, motifs can you find things that are familiar to people who've never heard this kind of stuff before yeah. are there melodies well, how would you like to structure that just like you would structure a composition so yeah. that's kind of how I look at it yeah, yeah. because I mentioned it briefly so how you, you've done quite a few dance uh, productions how did you get into that so yeah so the first one um, I did a, a workshop through GIPCO which was the Gordon Institute for Performing Arts at UCT and they're now the Institute for Creative Arts and this workshop was on collaborative art and I read through the you know the advertisement for the for for looking they were looking for applicants and Mm -hmm. I saw that um, James Webb was one uh, going to be the composer um, who's the facilitator or the kind of lead composer and and it's interesting because he's a sound artist um so i find that super interesting i really admire his work he's he's done incredible work and worked all over the world and he's he comes from a media and fine arts background so mm-hmm. he's not really a composer but right. he's done all this incredible sound artwork so i thought right. it would be interesting so yeah so i signed up for the workshop and we had three composers three choreographers, three lighting designers, and a group of dancers. And we were all going to do these collaborative works together over a period of 10 days, 12 days. The first week was rough because it was, yeah, they pair you up. So one composer, one choreographer, one um, lighting designer, and a group of dancers. And at the end of every day, we have to produce a one minute work in the theater to a closed audience, just but to the to the whole group. Mm. And obviously they're mentors and facilitators as well. And there's some critique and feedback and all that sort of stuff. And the kind of work that I was writing, and I think that was, I think it was probably James Webb encouraged me to keep doing it this way. I mean, we could have probably done it you could have written other, you know, music on a piano or whatever, but he was saying, well, this is what you do, so give it a go. So we set up some little studios in the Bax's dressing, room, right. dressing rooms. Right. So the other two composers were Pierre Henry Wickham and Ross Dawkin, and we each had a little room with our speakers and our equipment in there, and we would literally write on the spot. <laughs> so it's a strange process because you start writing and the choreographer's already starting to choreograph, and then you meet every hour or so when you swap out ideas and then for a composer that's difficult because he you you we usually write up front right and yeah, we yeah. give the here's the music 
<laughs> do, do something with do it. Something, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> or you get asked to write the music. So this is a completely different process. So we're writing something, and then I get there, and I think, well, what I've just done and what I, I'm looking at is it makes no sense it's not going to work I'm going to have to rework this now maybe I can use this idea somewhere else and it is a complete negotiation and then the dancers were completely also part of the process so they would say this feels wrong or this there is no cue here (laughs) you know I don't know what to do where um please add something in the music you know, for a composer, that's horrible. You know, that's the worst <laughs> thing anyone can ask you. Please add this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was it was an interesting process, but it taught me a lot about myself, I think, because um, I'm used to working on my own. I prefer it. I work on my own. And I like silence. I, I think about these things, and I've worked like that. But mm-hmm. it was actually a very rewarding experience in the end. After the, um, by the second week, we had been teamed up with people that the facilitators um, and the mentors thought that we would work well together with. And I was uh, paired up with Mzianda Mankam from Jazz Art, and we really just clicked. We had similar thought processes and ideas about what it is that we wanted to do, and we had a really amazing group of dancers. So, yeah, we, we worked on a work together. So that's how I started doing the choreography mm. thing, yeah. And I've subsequently done a couple after that. So, um, I mean, you mentioned a little bit of architecture, but who would you say are sort of your biggest musical influences in the stuff that you do? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you're talking about, it's so many diverse things by now. I mean, if I think about music, I mean, I don't know if you mean composers or artists. Anything. Anything. Like who or what inspires you. So sure. I mean, musically, I, st- I listen to everything. Um, I mean, I still listen to the classical greats, um, um, pr- probably, you, you know, all the, the Impressionists and Ravel and Debussy and Chopin and Rachmaninoff and Liszt and all those people. Um, mm. Bach, I still particularly like because it's so precise and so crisp. Yeah. Um, all the jazz guys, I mean, um, Bill Evans is probably my favorite jazz pianist, but it's also, he's got this kind of almost, um, it's very well constructed and thought out way of writing. Right. Keith Jarrett is another one because he's almost the opposite. He's just so free. Yes. And it's just this, you know, um, Becky Mseleko, uh, Dorothy Masuka. She just recently passed me. Those are South African people. And then obviously there are lots of younger people, people that are my peers, people are younger than I am. You know, I can think of um, Bukani Dayat, Kesavan Naidu. There's so many people that inspire me mm. musician wise. Then I listen to. York and Radiohead and right, right. Uh, you know Trenta Muller and all sorts of other weird things 
um, the weepies, you know, the foxes, whoever. I mean, I I find this music and if it resonates with me, I'll listen to it. And then apart from the music, it's nowadays it's it's so many other things. It's it's things that happen in the world. I'm very, you know, it's probably conservation. My sister's a nature conservationist, so I'm very passionate about that. Just things that are that just seem wrong in the world. Um, I mean, I've I've just recently read *Sapiens*. I don't know if you've read um, mm-hmm. this book by It is an epic, such a. I mean, I I'm this kind of weird philosophical person. I suppose I wish every person would read it because it is just about where we come from and how we keep repeating our own mistakes over and over again, and yeah. we do it to us to each other. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a really interesting chapter in that book where it talks about. The first people who colonized Australia were the Indonesians who effectively had to swim over the ocean in order to get there because that that, um, continent wasn't inhabited by humans before. So if you take, if you look at history in that, then I think about what's going on in the world and that just, we we keep doing it, you know, and it's over and over and no one's effectively, no one's innocent anymore. Yeah, Yeah. We're all guilty here. So, so that's the kind of stuff that really sits with me now, and I read and, um, yeah, uh, you know, technology moving forward, space exploration, all sorts of weird things, you know. <laughs> How would you describe your current style? So, it, it's a difficult thing to describe, I suppose. It is probably sound art or electroacoustic music is another. Mm term I guess you could put on it but I like sound I, sculpture that you're saying earlier. yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't like to put it in that box either exactly it's more it's like sculpting to me you know yeah. it's like taking the frequency spectrum and the sonic spectrum and the spatial spectrum and and sculpting inside that yeah and and it feels like that when you're doing it for me um it feels like taking a block of wood or a piece of rock or a ball of clay and then chipping away at it and seeing what what happens and what comes out of it and I sometimes think that it writes itself in some weird strange way because I have to get I I get stuck sometimes and then I get pulled along by it because it wants to go in another way (laughs) not necessarily the way that I thought it was going to be and then that's what it is yeah it's really it's interesting so it's been very rewarding for me writing that way because I feel I now feel more free than I have ever felt before because I'm not necessarily tied to anything and I can write whatever I want but at the same time it kind of writes itself yeah in a strange way so I mean they're, they're this series uh, I, I know of two of them it's the scratch studies yeah so the one is pencils and the other yeah. is is paper bags or plastic bags plastic bags how did those come about what, what um, the okay so yeah. so I'm a I'm somebody who this so all my sonic works I guess my sound art sculpture works they're they recorded in often lo-fi, so I've probably only only two pieces had some stuff recorded in the studio. Everything else is a portable recorder, or sometimes it's my phone. Um, or I mean, I, of, of course, I understand recording principles now, so I try and get the best possible quality recordings that I can out of the equipment that I'm using. Right. But a lot of it is relatively lo-fi. So it's, it's like Foley sound, so it's recording glasses trees wind um all sorts of things metal 
sounds the dancers' feet in the, one of the productions that we did, you know, or their voices or there's, whatever it might be. There's one, I think, what's it, tuning out the noise, or I can, it, yeah. were you running around UCT? Through the, uh, on A-level yeah. with my portable recorder, yeah, and it's yeah. like this whirlwind of sound that kind of blends into one thing. Yes. You know, and then yeah. I try and extract some noises out of that and we kind of reconstruct them. Right. Yeah. So the two, so those two works came about in that I wanted to deci- I wanted to see if I could focus on one object, one minimal object and extract as much as I could out of that one one thing because there's so many options with with this kind of forage sounds that anything is possible. But it's maybe a good idea to try and focus on this one simple thing and see what can you do with this one thing. And it would be, I thought it would be a good exercise for me to to kind of expand my uh, my technical skills, I guess, and, and, my, and my creativity. Yeah. So the first one I chose was pencils. So all the noises are pencil scratches um, on paper. A lot of it was recorded on my desk in my office. Um, and then the second one was, um, plastic bags so all the sounds there again they're all recorded plastic bags so they're different thicknesses different lengths uh different um they were some of them were scrunched some of them were kind of swirled around some of them were kind of scraped along and i made all these numerous recordings and then i extract little bits and i think okay this piece here is interesting and i could maybe do something with that or with that yeah, so, and then I'm doing, I'm working on another one called Wires, so it's kind of halfway there now. I'm hoping to get it done soon, but it's not. So that's the third one, maybe, in that series. It's just, it's, they're actually little exercises for me, but yeah, hopefully I'll have a bunch of them at, one, at some they're point. They're wild, though. Like, it, <laughs> I, it, like, I know, it, I mean, because this is like an, aud- an auditory thing, like, mm. I mean, I'd recommend, it's on Vimeo? Or, it's yeah. on, yeah, the, those, because those, they also have vi- the visuals, yeah. yeah. So that's the first time I really, it's actually not the first time, but it's the first time that I did this kind of visual and sound together as one format. Yeah, to put it that way. There's yeah. some pre- there's some really trippy kind of imagery that that you use in that. I think also like yeah, just if anyone's listening or not if anyone to the people who are listening to this that like to uh, check out the videos. I mean like, but audio or the audio by itself is also it's it's pretty wild. Like, yeah, it, it, I really really enjoy it. Yeah.
how do you survive or make a living? Yeah, so that is um, yeah, an important question, I guess, and it's an interesting question in the South African context. I, I have been very lucky in that I have always worked full-time. It's lucky, I say lucky in a sense, and it's also, it was almost forced upon me. Um, I mean, my parents pretty much told me, once you graduate, you need to support yourself. You know, this is yeah. it, you know. Um, and, and I mean, they've, they've done so much to get me through it, and absolutely, so I had to find work and quickly, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I started off teaching part-time. I did some jazz piano teaching at TCT for a little while, and I taught at a school in Nanga for a little bit. And then I saw this job where <clears throat> I did computer music practice as well when I was here. It was just once a week, and I think Andrew Lilly taught it at the time. It was one Atari computer in that room and a bunch of synths, you know, yeah. and I spent a lot of time in there. Uh, I saw this job... Um, to do some research into music technology for educational purposes and I thought this is perfect I'm gonna I'll apply you know and I was, yeah so I kind of started there and then a couple of years I feel that I've been extremely lucky thing I feel, often felt that I've been in the right place at the right time and I don't know if how many I think that the world kind of works like that I don't know if you're open to that, I don't know, I have a strange outlook, I suppose. But I do believe that in serendipity in some way and that you have to, but when the opportunity comes, you kind of have to realize that it's there mm. and then make a choice about whether you want to, which direction do you want to go. Right. So anyway, after a little while, I ended up, I met um, somebody who was running a project called The Sound House at the Baxter Theatre. Right. Her name was Corrine Johnstone. Um, she was one of the first female uh, sound engineers at the BBC and she'd come out uh, BP sponsored this project and they she was running this project and she was there for a good three or four years three years I think and I had had some dealings with her in this research that I was doing for a, a, a well-known um, music company in Cape Town retailer obviously because they were looking into getting some products in and selling them I also very quickly realized that I was not going to be able to do that for very long because I'm right. not geared towards corporate selling retail. It's not who I am and I have some problems down the line. So she was leaving and then she suggested that maybe I should apply for this job. She's saying she's not sure how many people would be able to do it. That was the first thing who had the kind of expertise at that time because this was in 1999, 2000. By that time, I'd already done a little bit of research um, on, on music tech. And I did, and I stayed for 11 years after that. That's where I kind of ran the NGO for 11 years. Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey. I'm trying to think back to the uh, the actual question now because I'm rambling at this point. Uh, do how do you make I'm a nervous. living? How do, <laughs> nervous? <laughs> oh, yeah, so I've always, yeah. so I've had, I've been teaching music tech in an NGO environment for all that time. And then eventually this became my baby in some weird way. You know, I was super passionate about it because I was able to do these classes for kids from across Cape Town. It was the schools, are, um, you know, the, the, the usual music, well-known music schools, but also getting buses in and getting kids from Langa and Bukeletu in at the same time and kids from our own neighborhood in Stellenbosch and some people came from Oatshorn, it was incredible, just to expose them to music technology and then try and link it into the, to the school curriculum. So I became quite passionate about that and education, swore I'd never teach, come from a family of teachers and here I was loving it. You know? right, I, right. Really, I really love teaching, I'm, I enjoy it very much, um, it's very rewarding for me. 
Anyway, and at some point the funding ran out. Well, the Baxter said there is no more money for this thing, and it is it is not our core focus anyway. So this is it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't really want to let it go, um, and I looked for my own funding. I mean, I'd already been helping with the fundraising proposals, but I kept looking for writing fundraising proposals. I came to speak to the UCT's College of Music. At the time, the director was what very supportive, and they were trying very hard to incorporate it into the, the SACM. Yeah. They weren't successful um, within the greater kind of management um, scheme of things. And I re-approached Paul Bothner Music, who is the company that I worked for right yeah. at the beginning doing the research, and they were willing to fund part of it. Right. And then we found some other money from additional sponsors, and it moved into the Cape Town Science Center in 2012 an independent NGO effectively and I was there for uh, sadly not very long actually the this position at um, this music technology officer random title position at UCT came about and I was thinking about at the time what do I you know whether I've I've kind of reached the end of my NGO road. It's very, very hard work. That's the first thing. Yeah. I always enjoyed it. I always loved it very much. But we also, we I had a bit of a glitch in that we, yeah, the board and I weren't, we weren't all agreeing necessarily with where this should be going. Um, and it was maybe time for me and I knew it was time for me again to maybe do something else, I suppose. So yeah, I ended up at, at UCT. So I've been lucky. I've always been able to sustain myself in in an ac- kind of academic music environment and right. with teaching and and then I would always write on the side which is not not the ideal way to do it because there was there's never enough time for anything but I yeah. have managed to do that at yeah. the same time yeah so I've had various other writing gigs and like I say the ads and the jingles and the films kind of came on to, you know that's till midnight and two yes. o'clock in the morning and whatever <laughs> it needs to be yeah. so it's kind of been that <laughs> I mean, what I what I've heard from quite a few people is sort of the work that you're doing at UCT is is fantastic. Just sort of like the whole new music technology kind of sound of things, yeah. which I I mean, yeah, I don't remember that when I remember I you taught me for half a year. I, I think. <laughs> so that that was I think sort of the beginning of that. Kind it w- of, yeah. yeah, it was still at the Baxter then. In yes. fact, what happened then is that they asked me. They've outsourced a. A, a one semester course to the sound house just to teach the students how to make a backing track yeah. or something like that was the course initially yes. and it eventually grew into a year-long course but yeah I'm also I mean the, at the time that the equipment that I was able to teach on at, at the NGO was was not I mean the, we only had so much money to work with so yeah. there wasn't a whole lot that we had but we could obviously teach some things as yeah. well but I really enjoyed that that course. The the funny thing for me, and I don't know if the lecturers noticed it when I was here during the last year, <laughs> is that at by that point I I was so like I just I'm done. Like I just yeah. want to get out of here. But I had a personal goal which was for almost every assignment to somehow link it to Pink Floyd. <laughs> so <laughs> for for your class, I remember doing a track of Nobody Home from the Wall. Yeah. And then I, I think for history I did an analysis of Dark Side of the Moon Fantastic. and for music education I did an arrangement of another brick in the wall for recorder quintet <laughs> something yeah. like that so yeah no. and, and it's funny I've always been doing that exactly like 
whatever is interesting to you. I mean, another person who's probably now an influence is Maxime Starkey, and he was also in that one of those classes yes. back then. And I remember him doing um, like an arrangement for from Sting or something like that. But it was super interesting, and it was like he threw it like it was completely upside down. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've learned a lot from from even the students I've taught, and you know, it's it's so that's what's nice about teaching, I think. Um, yeah. You know. It's very handy to, to that one has sort of, you know, these ideas coming at you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so of the stuff that, you, that has been done of yours, what is uh, your favorite performance memory? I think famous, uh, favorite performance memory probably is the, it's probably one of the dance works, I'd say. Yeah. Um, in fact, it, it's probably all three of them. Right. Because they're... They're special in their own way. They're very difficult to do because it's not just your own work in a sense because the, creatively you're so entwined with this choreographer that you're working with that you almost you have to have this bond. So when the work is performed on stage, it is super special. So for me, those are probably the most special ones. And I, and I will say that it's all three of them, even though they're two different choreographers. The the last one I did with Tim Bambuli was incredibly difficult because we had a dancer that was sick was replaced by another dancer who then also hurt herself and, and then we had to rework the entire piece three days before the opening night with three dancers instead of four mm. so it was hell of a hard but um we you know we were all completely invested in it and and that piece in particular let me put it that one let me let me talk about that one because it was about um sort of the emancipation of women I guess uh, Timbo was raised by a family of females he didn't have many very many role, uh, male role models and he mm. wanted to say this thing about this piece and a lot of people criticized him for it because they said he's male why you know how can you do that but you know um, it was completely an integrated work I don't think people understand how we put it together so I was everyone else was female um, the dancers Tabisa Dinger who is um, an incredible dancer. She's also pursuing a music degree now. Um, she's also a multi-instrumentalist. Mm. And so she performed some of her instruments live. So we used uh, an Uhadi, an Mbira, and a Mkrube. Um, and she danced with some of those instruments, and some of that is in the, in the composition that I did. The dancers' feet sounds are in there, their voices, their stories are in there because we had I had interviews with them asking them about, he did that as well, Timba, he asked us all, you know, what do we think? Uh, what does this topic mean to us? Yeah. And, and we had these conversational sessions and we would record it, I would record all of them and then we extracted phrases and words and all sorts of things and all of that is woven into the musical composition in a sense. Yeah. So that's, it's super special. It was very, very difficult. This is Tabador. This one is authorized, authorized that I'm talking right, about. Right, yeah. Right, right, right. So it was a difficult work to do, but it was it was painful in many ways, <laughs> but it was super rewarding.
all of us became like this bond of, you know, you bond with people like that because it is so personal. You know, um, there's nowhere to hide. And choreographers have an interesting way of doing that, um, more than more than musicians do. So I've learned a lot from these choreographers. They, mm. they, in, it is, you know, and I suppose it's like that for a dancer. Your entire body is. You have to be completely immersed in that work. Otherwise, you can't perform it. And music for musicians, we can step away in a sense and no. say we're going to play it, or um, even even worse, the stuff that I'm doing now. I'm just going to press play and sit in the back of the room <laughs> and hide. <laughs> right. you know? But if you're them, you're you're immersed completely. Yeah, and, and that's made a massive impact on how I write now. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking I've I've performed many many symphonic works where like you're not really there. It's yeah, just you're you just know playing. going through the motions. Kind Absolutely. Of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, um, what would you then say is a favorite piece of yours? Okay, so that's probably the GW. Um, 15. 15 14 I was wondering how do you pro- do you, how do you pronounce the title just GW 15 09, 09, 14, 14 that's it yeah. and it's not even I mean that's not necessarily mine in a sense if, if I can put it that the way title? the title so the yeah. title so that it's an event so this um it's always a weird thing to talk about, I guess. It's the first time gravitational waves were recorded by um, by a facility, so it's the LIGO Center in the States. Um, yeah. And that was the date it happened on. So it's gravitational waves. It's the abbreviate, abbreviation of it. Right. 15th of September 2014, right. effectively. Right, um, right. So they captured these um, waves on their instruments, obviously. But... Of course, you can't hear it in the human frequency spectrum. So right. what they did was, in order to analyze it, they they kind of scaled it down into the human frequency spectrum, which is 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. And then they got noises from it. They got sounds from it. And those sounds, that the researchers all are available on their website. The sounds are freely available. Um, and I got a hold of them. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to do something with these sounds because ironically that was a I was going to write something for Unyazi in 2016 right and the theme was infrastructure okay and I thought about all of this and I was going to initially write something about the infrastructure of either machines or you know architecture I'm really yeah. that I find it's fascinating and then when I came across this kind of event and I'd read about it before and I, and I it, it clicked kind of I was looking for something else on the internet and then I kind of this popped up and I thought that's a really it would be fascinating to try and see if I could find these sound files and let's see so yeah. I got the whole of them there are only six of them they're super short and then I just kind of started playing around with them and see if you could and the more I did it it is somewhat like I say this thing about how your composition writes itself you as you listen to what it if you think about what it is you're listening to you're listening to gravitational space waves yes these are ripples of space time so that has to do with the infrastructure of the entire universe not just our little tiny planet it is still evolving we constantly discovering these new um, objects out there we ha- we will never know the extent of it and it's almost like you're listening i mean you're listening into outer space but you're listening back in time in a weird sense so yes. all of that stuff kind of then starts i yeah i try and put the, somehow weave that into and when i'm thinking about it i guess and you're kind of trying to extract that somehow 
out of your out of your work. So yeah, that's it. it's just processing them in various ways and stretching them out and, and mm. you know trying to find the melodies, trying to find rhythms again. Yeah. Yeah. So it was super rewarding. And then what I did in the end was um, the aim was to manipulate both the sound, the audio processing, and some visuals in real time for the performance. Okay. But I wasn't 100% successful with that, so um, I had to abandon one part of that idea in order to meet the deadline for this festival. So I did manage to uh, um, manipulate my visuals in real time with a pro little program called Yannix. Okay. It's named after Yannis Sinakis, and it's a, it's a scoring program, actually. Um, it's interesting, but it's not traditional notation at all. It's just waves, it's curves and shapes and they're triggers and you can sing something completely in time or you can create these random shapes. It's interesting because it you can you can run um, open sound control into it MIDI and then you can link it to audio so you can actually completely sync something or it can control the audio, com you know. So what I did was I wrote a, a Max patch which was my user interface with Max MSP which could control Yannix. But I then realized that I would get, I'm going to need some sort of touchscreen interface in order for me to do everything I wanted to do because I, I can only click, my mouse can only click so many times, you know. And, and that was when I kind of ran out of time and I thought, okay, you've got to make a decision. So I pre-prepared the sound, I sculpted it and that's kind of composed and finished. And then I attempted to improvise the visuals live during the festival with this um, Max Patch and Yannix. Um, mm. So I still want to, and I am at a point now where I think I'm closer to that, where I can, and I need to build another patch to integrate the visual control and the sound control into one patch and then find a way it's probably going to be like an iPad or a tablet or something like that. So you can use all 10 fingers. Right, so it would right. be really nice to be able to try and manipulate the sound with your one hand and the visuals with the other hand. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's where that's right hopefully right. going. Right. <laughs> but it's, it was super rewarding. So, so it's, it, it's, um, it's nice. It's probably a favorite of mine because it's inspired me to do something else that I can't do yet. Okay. Let me put it that way. <laughs> that's a very good uh, yeah. approach to have. Yeah. yeah no. so. I have a, a, there's a friend of mine who has a PhD in astrophysics. I think he did a whole thing on, on black holes and stuff like that. Oh, and amazing. when I was listening to the piece yesterday, I was kind of like, hmm, I should really like <laughs> push this in his direction. It's like, have a listen to this. Thing. Ask him what he thinks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
what is the best advice you've ever received from a teacher or a mentor? Ah, oh, that's that's actually difficult. I mean, I have had lots of good advice from many, many people. I've had good teachers. I'm actually, I'd probably say the best advice because it's always sticking with me came from my dad, <laughs> and he said to me once, um, "You make things." impossible for yourself because you're always trying to please everybody else and you need to let that go and be who you are and move forward and it's funny but I I mean I still have to tell myself that now and it's true I mean I suppose I'm a natural teacher I'm I like helping other people I don't like to upset anybody yet that's life you know I sometimes think I'm naive about that I wish everyone would just be friends and it doesn't work like that mm-hmm. and I, so yeah so I've, I've had to, I've had a long journey to get to the point where I don't care that much what other people think in, anymore I don't necessarily yeah I, yeah I don't push it out there it is what it is if you like it you do if you don't it's okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so that was probably the best advice I got yeah. it's I mean it, it is very difficult to please everyone especially yeah. like something with like music or something like yeah. that it's just it's so yeah subjective yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, and then on, the, on that level uh, what would you suggest to an aspiring composer or to the South African uh, new music scene as a whole yeah that's also interesting it's something I have to think about a lot because I teach a class where we're staging the third year class is staging a live performance which includes electronics in at the end of the semester mm-hmm. um, I, th- I say to them that you have to so I'm trying to encourage them to also think about conceptualizing ideas for composition so you, that comes from within you you have to be yourself you have to bring you and your baggage and your influences and then think about what you want to say. Um, and that is a very scary thing to do. Um, I often get blank looks in the class because they go like, really? You're saying we can do whatever you, we want? Really? <laughs> Could you tell me what it is that I want, yes, please? Absolutely. Like, they yeah, ask, the... exactly. They ask me, well, can you be more specific? You know? yeah. And I've had to say before, don't write for me. You're not writing to please me. You're writing for you and and for you mostly you know and yeah, of course yeah. you're writing for an audience but f- you're writing for you you're you're writing something that you want to write and that is all that really matters in the end um and i know in when you when you're studying or you're learning you you worry about that because you think what is the right thing i mean like I, my journey is probably a good example of that because i've been through so many phases and if it if it's not if it doesn't feel right if it's not who you are it's not going to work in the long run, mm-hmm. you know. So you can possibly do it, and maybe be pretty good at it. Um, but if you don't love it, if you don't love what it is that you're doing, you, it's going to become problematic for yeah. you at some point. You know? yeah, yeah. So it's it's a difficult thing to do, um, even for me now. But especially when you're young. But it's it's probably the most um, rewarding thing you would do. All if you, the sooner you get there, the better. Right. <laughs> so these are the questions that I ask everyone. And uh, what I like to do at the end is that uh, for the people who are listening, if they have a question that they want to ask any composer, uh, they can contact me either on Twitter, I'm at BatComposer, or you can reach me on Facebook, or Instagram, or whatever. Um, smoke signals. Uh, and the <laughs> question that I, that I chose is, um, what makes you decide that a piece is finished? They're never finished. 
Fair I enough, hate yeah. probably every one of them. And you hate you. I probably hate all pieces. of them okay. like in some way, and I'm I find it very difficult to let them go. A right. lot of my later works have been, in, in fact, not even just later works. A lot of my work has been written on a deadline, either for a festival or a film or something. And I had a, I had no choice. I had to finish it. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, that's been good because it's taught me that I have to let them go. Um, because if I had a choice, I would just keep working on them <laughs> and right. and then never finish them but you have to re- you have to do that you know that you have to yeah. finish and you have to let them go it's that what's it art is never finished it's abandoned um, it's abandoned yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's abandoned absolutely yeah. so um do you have anything coming up that you'd like to promote like to plug or any shows or anything like that <laughs> i'm very i'm very bad at plugging anything <laughs> okay. so no so um oh no you know what i mean so yeah, so my third year class will have a perfor- live performance uh, okay. in semester. I'll probably plug that rather than anything else. So that will be around June um, um, in C7. So right. we make crazy noises in C7 whenever we can. It's always very difficult because we've got to plan it carefully and we need three days for setup and there's uh, cables everywhere. And often okay. it happens towards the very end of the semester when there's no one around, but it's the only time we can get in there. Right, right. <laughs> so that happens at the end of the semester. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. There may be some festivals later in the year. But if people wanted to then follow, uh, best to follow, best way to follow you, Facebook. Also bad. Also bad. Um, probably my email address. Let me give you that. It's Meryl. So M E R Y L dot Fanoi V A N O I E at U C T dot A C dot Z A. I'm happy if people emailed me. Um, I do have a very random SoundCloud account, but it's not really. I wouldn't say that's my professional work. Actually, a lot of my stuff's not on there. Right. It is almost like a record of my life journey. That's what my SoundCloud account is. It reminds me of where I've been and where right. I am now. It's it's noisily. It's noisily, yeah. yeah. And then my Vimeo is the same. There are very few things on there, but there are some things on there. The, the, the paper the, bag, yeah, the plastic yes. bag, I mean, and the pencils, those are up there. I'm trying to put my audiovisual works on Vimeo if I can as I finish right. them. Thank you. 